Hello, and welcome to the show, Are They Guilty? Tonight's episode will be on the topic of Henry Plummer, the supposedly corrupt sheriff of Bannock, Montana. To understand how Henry Plummer came to be, we need to look at his backstory. Henry Plummer, the youngest of seven, was born in 1832 to William Jeremiah and Elizabeth Plummer in Addison, Maine. Henry grew up with a clearly defined life path. He was to follow in the footsteps of his father, older brother, and brother-in-law to become a sea captain. Unfortunately, his father William passed away when he was a teenager, and hard financial times fell upon his family. Becoming privy to the massive gold rush taking place in California, Henry decided he would move west, promising to send back his riches to help the family. In late April of 1852, he made his journey to California through Panama City. In all, the journey took 24 days total. Upon Henry's arrival in San Francisco, he took a job at a local business. He moved 150 miles to Nevada County, California. Once he had saved enough money to leave the city for the mines, documents show that shortly after his arrival in Nevada County, he owned both a ranch and a mine in the area. He then traded some of his mine shares in exchange for the Empire Bakery in Nevada County. The residents loved Plummer and persuaded him to run for sheriff in 1856. Following the election, at just the age of 24, he became marshal of the third largest settlement in California, increasing his prominence in the state. It was shortly after re-election that Henry's career in crime is said to have begun. Following re-election in 1857, Plummer killed the husband of a woman who, with whom he was said to be having an affair. Henry was arrested and ultimately convicted of second-degree murder, being sentenced to prison for ten years. The residents were skeptical of Plummer's guilt, and petitioned for a pardon claiming that he had acted in self-defense. He was released on August 16, 1859, after six months of incarceration. The reason cited for release was that he was dying of consummation rather than the controversial notion that he was unjustly incarcerated. Following his stint in prison, Plummer fell in with the wrong crowd spending his money in brothels and joining a group of bandits. He was again arrested, this time for stagecoach robbery, but was acquitted as there was not enough evidence to prove his guilt. Not long after that, he was arrested for the murder of William Riley. This time, he escaped prison by bribing the jailer. Along his way to Oregon, he met Jim Mayfield, a wanted man for the murder of a sheriff in a neighboring town. Plummer, himself being a wanted man, is said to have sent a letter to the California newspapers claiming that both he and Mayfield had been hanged in Washington, thus taking the bounty off their heads. He and Mayfield split ways, and Plummer landed in Idaho, where he was reunited with cellmate Cyrus Skinner and others like Clubfoot George Lane and Bill Bunton. These men are said to have started a gang, killing a saloonkeeper in Orono, Idaho. While his counterparts were focused on their lawless ways, Plummer had found his tuberculosis to be taking over. Plummer decided to head back east to be with his family. This decision led him to the river, to Fort Benton, where he planned to take a steamboat. Unfortunately, by the time he had arrived, the river was frozen over for the year, and no boats were traveling. He planned to winter in the area and found work at the Sun River Farm, where he met Electa Bryan. After only two months of courting, he asked her hand in marriage, which she accepted. Rather than heading east, he chose to return to the mines and made his way to Bannock, and settled along Grasshopper Creek. It was here that his chapter in Montana history truly began.
Now here's where I think we should take a moment and discuss the allegations surrounding Mr. Plummer. I'm going to read you some evidence from an article that I have found, I guess. The aunt of vigilante prosecutor Wilbur Sanders described the outlaw band's countless atrocities. The sheriff was the captain, Mary Egerton wrote, and the victims were burned and robbed, and then their bodies were cut into pieces and put under the ice. Others were burned and buried. But these murders had not been discovered by the people here. Miss Edgerton was describing the mutilation of corpses that had never been discovered. Despite the absence of actual bodies and the vigilante's failure to so much as question the man hanged for directing the alleged mayhem, Dimsdale branded Plummer a murderous outlaw chief. Posterity had expressed little concern that the accused chief, sheriff, received no trial. Instead, historians have blithely accepted the story given out by the very men who plotted and carried out Plummer's murder. Research of the past three decades, however, suggests that Montana vigilantes may well have hanged an innocent man. In Dimsdale's 1866 book, The Vigilantes of Montana, he outlined Plummer's supposed record of crime. It is understandable that posterity would trust Dimsdale. He was a pious teacher and editor. In addition, historians thought that Dimsdale's name was not on the vigilante's role and therefore naively believed his claim that his book was impartial. And finally, criticism aimed at the vigilantes had been uniformly squelched. There had been a glaring example of Preacher's son, Bill Hunter, who expressed his outrage by shouting on a mining camp street that pro-vigilantes were stranglers. Weeks later, Hunter's frozen corpse was found dangling from the limb of a cottonwood tree. Despite such warnings to vigilante critics, a few rumblings of dissent did emerge, rumblings that should have raised doubt about the vigilante's version of events at Bannock. For example, in 1864, a Sacramento Union correspondent hinted at the gang's high degree of organization and its atrocities may have been exaggerations. The number of murders the correspondent suggested could be fewer than a hundred, perhaps no more than ten. Decades later, Judge Lou J. L. Calway, a friend of an admirer of vigilante Captain James Williams, admitted that the, at, the, at the time of the lynching, some good people considered the vigilantes themselves outlaws. As for the true character of the maligned plumber, Judge Frank Woody described him as the last man that one would take to be a highwayman. So there you have it. I'm not going to outright tell you that Plummer was innocent. That's for you to decide. But I've given you the evidence. And sure, Plummer did commit some crimes in his earlier years, but not for what he was hang hung for. Thank you for tuning in and listening. I'll see you next time on Are They Guilty? Goodbye for now.